I greet you this morning in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. It's good to see all those who have gathered here in the Faith and Arts Center, along with those who have joined us online. I wanted to share two personal notes today. Uh, some of you have already noted in our printed materials that the Reverend Jeff Rogers is now Dr. Jeff Rogers. He earned his Doctor of Ministry at Candler School of Theology earlier this month, and please join me in offering your congratulations. Also, some of you are aware that at the end of April, I was diagnosed with pneumonia and have spent the last two weeks recovering. I want to express my appreciation to everybody's calls, cards, texts, uh, your prayers. They have meant more than I can express. I don't think I realized the gravity of the situation until the doctor looked at me and said, this is really serious for someone your age. Thanks, Doc. Uh, today we are continuing our spring worship series, Flawed Heroes. We're exploring the Old Testament book of Judges. And we've seen that Judges tends to evoke in our minds images of legal officials, but it's also a term for leader in Hebrew. And these military rulers were called forth by God to save Israel at critical moments. And today we're concluding a three-week arc on the story of Gideon. Our scripture lesson comes from Judges chapter 8, beginning with verse 22. The Israelites said to Gideon, rule over us, you, your son, and your grandson, because you have saved us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And he said, I do have one request, that each of you give me an earring from your share of the plunder. It was the custom of the Ishmaelites to wear gold earrings. They answered, we'll be glad to give them. So they spread out a garment, and each of them threw a ring from his plunder upon it. The weight of the gold rings he asked for came to 1,700 shekels, not counting the ornaments, the pendants, and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian or the chains that were on their camels' necks. Gideon made the gold into an ephod, which he placed in Ophrah, his town. All Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping in it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. Amen. We first met Gideon in Judges chapter 6. The would-be hero was cowering in a wine press below ground level, threshing wheat out of fear of Israel's enemies. And in a scene that truly is filled with humor, an angel of the Lord appears, calls down into the hole, and says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Well, Gideon certainly didn't believe the Lord was anywhere around. And he didn't see himself as a mighty warrior. He responded to God's call with a series of tests and excuses. But eventually, God prevailed. And Gideon sent out a call throughout the region. 32,000 Jewish men responded. And we saw last week that Gideon looked out over this great army and said, not enough. And God looked over the same group and said, too many. Let everybody who's afraid go back home. 10,000 remained. Gideon said, not near enough. And God said, 
Still too many. Watch the men as they drink water down by the stream. Some of them got down on their hands and knees and lapped the water. Others pulled it up in their hands and lapped at it like dogs. And God said, dismiss most of the guys. Hold on to the ones who lapped the water like dogs, and 300 remained. And Gideon said, you got to be kidding. And God said, just right. Then he instructed Gideon to take his band of 300 and approach the Midianite camp in the middle of the night. And at the right moment, they blew trumpets. They smashed pottery. They began to wave torches, and they cried out the name of God and Gideon. And the enemy panicked, and the retreat became a rout, and people from across the region joined the Israelite army until they defeated their foe. And Israel enjoyed peace and prosperity for 40 years. Gideon, the kid who had cowered in a hole in the ground, returned back to Israel as a military hero. He was Time Magazine's Person of the Year. Talk shows were clamoring for his guest appearance. His face appeared on cereal boxes, and his autobiography became the number one seller on the New York Times bestseller list. Not exactly, but you get the idea. Israel was grateful, and more than grateful, Israel was still afraid. There were other enemies that surrounded them, and so they came to Gideon and said, we want you to be our king. It'll be a hereditary monarchy. First you, and then your son, and your grandson can follow you. And if Gideon had accepted and become the first king of Israel, it would have changed the entire course of Jewish history. And he must have been tempted. Tempted on a personal level. He'd gone from zero to hero. From least and last to first and most, a nobody, king of Israel. And on a national level, he would finally have the power to protect the nation from its other enemies, maybe even lead a religious revival to bring them back to the one true God. But in a moment that reflected the very best of Judaism, he declared, I will not rule over you. My son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And if it had stopped there... The story would have ended on a high note. They lived happily ever after, the end, amen. But it didn't stop there. Gideon said, the Lord will rule over you. But then he also added, there's one little request I would like to make. One of the points I'd like for you to take away today is we're always one comment and one action away from making a critical mistake. And in a heartbeat, he went from heights to depths, from faithfulness to sinfulness, from God to gold. What happened? I would offer up two possibilities. First of all, when you read Scripture and when you look at our own lives, part of what we discover is that evil is a counter-puncher. 
That's a tactic used in boxing. When a foe throws a punch, the opponent looks for a gap in the guard that is left open and hits back. And what we often discover is that great temptation follows spiritual victories. You see it throughout the Bible. You see it in Jesus' life. He went to the River Jordan to be baptized by John the Baptist, which began in a few months his public ministry. The Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. A voice came from heaven and said, You are my son with whom I am well pleased. The same Spirit led Jesus out into the wilderness for 40 days. And at the end of that time, he was tempted by Satan multiple ways. Later in his ministry, outside Caesarea Philippi, Simon Peter, for the very first time, declared aloud, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus praised him. But then the Lord began to talk about his coming crucifixion. Peter was appalled, and he said, Not you, Lord, never. And Jesus looked at him and said, Get behind me, Satan. Evil's a counterpuncher. Secondly, we are a self-destructive people living in a fallen world. We know what's good. We tend to do what's bad. And I've seen people who have everything throw it away for nothing. A few quick examples. If you are over 10 years of age in the United States of America, you know the abuse of alcohol, drugs, and tobacco is bad for you. It gets instilled in us from elementary school on, and yet they are crises that continue to affect our lives, our families, and our nation. We know we're better off taking a walk than sitting in front of the TV or surfing the Internet. I know a help, heaping helping of kale is a lot better for me than a Chick-fil-A milkshake. I'm going to get the Chick-fil-A milkshake. We empathize with Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote, I do not do the good I want to do, but the very bad I do not want to do I find myself doing. And the same is true with Gideon. He says, I have one request. The Midianites wore gold earrings. And he said, I would like one earring from each of you. And they said, absolutely. And they laid out a garment, and they each began to throw one earring onto the garment. Translations say it was 1,700 shekels worth of gold. Depending on where you resource your information, that's anywhere between 40 and 70 pounds of gold. And I did the math for you. Gold right now is trading for about $2,000 an ounce. There's 16 ounces to a pound. Let's go with the 70 pounds. That's 1,120 ounces. That equates to about $2.24 million in today's currency. And that was just part of the plunder that Gideon had gotten. He took it back to his hometown, melted it down, and made an ephod. E-P-H-O-D, an ephod. And you're going, what's an ephod? And that's a great question, and I don't have an answer. In Exodus, it was part of the priestly vestments that Aaron wore. We're not sure what it was in Judges. Maybe a golden image, maybe a miniature temple. We know what it became, an idol. And in one of the heart-rending verses of the Bible, in Judges 8.26, it says, all Israel prostituted themselves to it, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. 
At the beginning of his career, the first thing he did as a judge was tear down an idol in his hometown. Now you find himself erecting an idol in the same hometown. He went from idol breaker to idol maker in just a matter of moments. Gideon's idol pursuits became his downfall. He failed the very basics of Judaism. The first two commandments, you shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not make of yourself any idol. And in one action, he did both. He broke both. You have no other gods before me. The positive way of putting that is you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You have no idols. It means that you focus upon God and God alone. But we saw in the very first sermon that there is this depressing cycle in judges of disobedience, of consequences, of repentance, of deliverance, and of restoration. And it happens over and over again. And every time you hear the phrase, Israel did what was evil in the sight of God, it is always idolatry. And we've already seen it was nothing new. Moses went atop Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. And while he was gone, the people asked Aaron to make them an idol. And so he crafted a gold calf they began to worship. And when Moses came down, he was outraged. And he confronted Aaron, and Aaron took it like a man. He avoided all responsibility. He said, I took the gold, I threw it in the fire, and this golden calf came walking out. Idolatry tripped up the Jews over and over again. And we find it tripping us up in 21st century America as well. We don't worship the Baals and the Asterisks of Canaan millennia ago, but we know the allure, the enticement of worshiping the physical rather than the spiritual the created rather than the creator, those things that appeal to our five senses than the ineffable and expressible God who cannot even begin to be imagined or encompassed. And what we also learn over and again is that when God is first in our lives, everything else falls into place. And when God is not first in our lives, Everything becomes a jumbled mess of allegiances and pursuits. Adam Hamilton wrote, most of these false gods in and of themselves are good and important things that we've given our ultimate devotion to. We put too much trust in them, expecting them to do what they cannot do. And we put them on the altar of our lives where they were never intended to be. The first commandment doesn't forbid passion, hobbies, and interests. It forbids putting them above God, worshiping them, and serving them in the place of God. I've done that. You have too. I remember saving money as a teenager to buy my very first automobile. And I went to Hub Ford over in Decatur, and the salesman was Moon Man Armstrong. First on the moon, first in car sales. I remember it to this day, and he knew a sucker when he walked through the door. I ended up buying a used 1972 Ford Maverick Grabber. Black on white paint job, hood scoops, vinyl roof. 
It had a 302 V8 with a four-barrel carburetor and dual exhaust, and it would go a lot faster than any teenage boy needed to go. And I loved that car as only a teenage boy can learn love his first car. And I'd kneel before it every week, and I would wash it. And I would wax the paint, and I would treat the vinyl and put armor all on the interior. I did my own service. I'd change the oil. I'd tune up the engine. I'd back flush the radiator. I installed a high-tech entertainment system with an 8-track tape player, an AM, FM radio, and quadraphonic sound. I even got a chrome gas pedal shaped like a barefoot. I was so cool. What is humorous as a teenager's passions is tragic as adult realities. And time and again, we can find ourselves worshiping the things of this world. You know the list. See which one of these appeal to you. Cars, boats, homes, yards, exercise, health, travel, TV, golf, tennis, pickleball, hunting, fishing, jewelry, stocks and bonds, net worth. None of those things are bad in and of themselves. It's when we put them first that all of life begins to fall apart. Soren Kierkegaard was a Danish theologian of the 19th century. I like to use him regularly in sermons because it makes me sound very theologically knowledgeable. Soren Kierkegaard. There's a parable that's attributed to him. I've never been able to find it in his works, but it's called the parable of the jewelry store and the thieves. He says that life is like a jewelry store into which thieves have broken, but they haven't stolen anything. They've simply rearranged the price tags. Junk jewelry now commands a great price, and the pearl beyond all price is considered to be worthless. What are we giving our lives to? What commands all of our attention, our time, our energy, our money? That is our God. And we serve a jealous God who wants to, us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. When God's first, everything else falls into place. When God is not, we find ourselves as flawed heroes with idle pursuits. Let us pray. Gracious God, we hear the words of Paul, and they tug at our heart and at our soul. The very good we want to do, we do not do. The very bad we want to escape from our lives, we find ourselves doing. Forgive us, we pray. Over and again, bring us back to your side to kneel before you, to declare you as the number one priority of our lives, to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In the name of Jesus the Christ, we make our prayer. Amen.